Hello, and welcome to the GIST Podcast. Join us on a unique exploration of Jakarta Intercultural School and get to know the people at the center of our diverse, globally engaged community. From our resilient students and dedicated teachers to accomplished alumni from all over the world, we'll shine a spotlight on their stories and experiences. Get ready to learn all about our community, one dragon at a time. Now, let's meet today's host and special guests. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Dr. Jenny Sabin. I'm the new curriculum coordinator here at GIS, and I'm excited to join the team here and work with teachers and, and parents. We have with us a special guest today, Paul Anderson. He's known throughout the international science teaching community for his breadth and depth of knowledge in NGSS, ed tech, flipped classrooms, and classroom design. He has trained thousands of students, teachers, and administrators worldwide. And I can think of no one better to help guide our community through its transition to the next generation science standards. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Paul Anderson. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little about yourself. How did you get here? What's your background? And, you know, why are you so passionate about science education and inquiry? Yeah. So I always growing up had a passion for science. I just loved learning new things. Uh, and it took me a while in university to figure out what I wanted to do uh, and, and finally found education and fell in love with it. So I'm from Montana in the States, and I was a teacher for 20 years, um, taught all the sciences because Montana is pretty rural. And so I uh, teach all the sciences. And then I was lucky enough when the internet came out that I was able to start putting videos online. So it was around the time, educators know this time, it was around the flip classroom and learning online and YouTube. And so what I found in class is that I didn't have enough time to actually do science in the class. And I was spending so much time just getting through the content. So I started making these videos, putting them online. And it was this real cool positive feedback feedback loop of uh, I put it out there, people appreciate it, and then it makes me want to make more and spread those. And so uh, when these new science standards came out, so I, I've, I'm a YouTuber. It took me a while to get comfortable saying that. So I've got over a million <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> and so most people won't know me, but some of your students, especially high school science students, would know who I am. So uh, when these new science standards came out, I that's just how I learned. I made about 60 videos on that and learned a ton from that, but then got invited to an international school, a couple, one in Japan and one in China. That was 10 years ago. And hadn't heard of international schools and hadn't really ever been a consultant, but then the last 10 years have just been that. Me traveling around the world, working with schools as they make this pedagogical shift. Yeah, how lucky are we as international schools to get to welcome you and your expertise as we do it. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about these next generation science standards? Some of our listeners might not be educators, so yeah. they might know you know, the letters or have heard it somewhere, but can you tell us a little about NGSS, its design and, and yeah. Maybe background? Yeah, its origin was, what we were getting was a lot of students in the States who could memorize a lot of science, but they didn't have deep understanding and couldn't apply it in new situations. So they didn't, when I was a scientist for a little while, what you do as a scientist is you ask questions, you investigate and answer those questions. And it really is all about curiosity and wonder. And our classes were not about that. They were more about, I mean, I would encourage listeners to just think back to your maybe biology class from high school, where it maybe was like a lot of direct instruction, memorizing mitosis, meiosis, all the parts of the Krebs cycle. 
and you just don't remember it. And even the labs were cookbook in style where you just follow the steps. And so a lot of the research shows it's not an effective way to learn. A really effective way to learn is to be a scientist. And so the idea of the NGSS is to get our students being scientists for two reasons. Number one, it's a more efficient way to learn because you're tying it to experiences. And then the second is we want to bring more people into the fields of STEM. We want them to see themselves, especially girls, as I can be an engineer, I could be a computer scientist. Like we want to send that message. We've done well with science and math, but moving towards those other areas. So that's a long story, but it's basically we want our kids to feel like scientists because it's an effective way to learn. So NGSS standards, when we talk about uh-huh. those in, in a science adoption, um, we think of concepts oftentimes, of what we want our kids to know. How might other components of the NGSS hit at skills and other piece in order to build those scientists and, and the future-ready kids? Yeah, so the, the NGSS are what are called a three-dimensional set of standards. And so if I kind of, if you could visualize that for a second, imagine a pie chart where it has these three chunks. And one is going to be on content, what they're learning. So it would be things like forces and kinematics it would also be like ecosystems and chemical reactions so like that pie has gotten smaller we're focusing on just these core big ideas they call them core ideas but then the other two parts of the pie uh, one would be what are called the science and engineering practices so they worked with a lot of different scientists science educators some were nobel laureates and said what is it, what does a scientist do And so they developed these practices, things like asking questions, investigating, modeling, um, coming up with arguments, making claims with evidence. And so that is one of the big dimensions. And so what's really changed is it's not just learning science, but it's always doing one of these practices in class, on assessments, so you're a scientist. And then I'm actually most excited about the third dimension, which are these, they're called the cross-cutting concepts, but they're more themes. And so these are like not unique to different uh, sciences. It would be things like uh, cause and effect or patterns or scale or proportion. These are these big ideas. And so they map not only to science, but to life. So if I'm looking at anything in the world, I'm thinking about what's the effect I see, what's causing that. And so the idea with the standards is each standard, and if you're not familiar with that, it's just like what we're aiming for our students to understand has one of each of these pieces of pie. So like if I'm learning evolution, I'm going to be thinking in cause and effect, but I'm going to be analyzing patterns in a population that's evolving over time. So that's kind of a (laughs) long story, but the three dimensions end up being equally important. Yeah, and that seems exciting, again, as we're producing students that are citizens and hopefully are out there becoming scientists and learning to use it. So what does that look like for younger students, right? These seem, Mm -hmm. you said some really big words uh, in science concepts, and so I'm wondering these cross-cutting things, cause and effect sounds like something Mm -hmm. a first grader might do. So what does that look like in our younger grade levels? Yeah, so, I mean, the class is a Another word that I haven't talked about is something called a phenomena, which sits core to the NGSS. And so a phenomena is simply something you see in the world. So it has to be a real thing, but something you see in the world that you don't really understand. So we were just on the Pi campus earlier this week, and we were just walking around campus, the teachers trying to figure out what would be good phenomena. And for me, 
it was like different plants were found in different areas. So there's this pattern of distribution of different, like different plants. And it is all based on like where there's water or where there's a light or things like that. So what we would do in the old school way of teaching is a teacher would say, okay, we're going to learn about an ecosystem and what do plants need and they need light. And you'd go through all the parts. But what we now do is flip it where we just take the kids to the phenomena and what they try to do is make sense of it. So it's not like we're going to get away from like learning the science concepts, but what we're trying to pivot is always starting with the exploration before we get to the explanation. And it gives them something to tie it to. So to answer your question, each standard from like elementary to middle to high school is developmentally appropriate for what, how the kids can dig in. So for example, first graders can really think deeply about things that they can see but not things that they can't see so as they move to third grade we start to introduce ideas of like systems and time and so I guess the biggest thing that we've learned about how kids learn science is they can go way deeper way younger than they can in other domains so you might have a student who struggles with reading or math but it's probably because they got a lot of encouragement with that early and they're never going to be as good as uh, adults at those especially like in elementary but in science they're almost our peers they can think deeply and so a lot of the time we don't push kids uh, just as, as deep to see what they're thinking so you talked about the curiosity and wonder pieces and I want to mm-hmm. maybe frame that in a, a term that we used to hear and and do still I think apply um, is inquiry uh-huh. So we've talked a little about phenomena in that and and really putting kids out to experience and wonder and be curious about something in front of them in nature. Um, What is that? How does that parallel with inquiry when we talk about that in other content areas, maybe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was interesting because I taught a biology class earlier today and I started with that, just just letting students know what inquiry is. And so inquiry is like my definition of inquiry is when you see something that you don't really understand and you are interested in it and you ask questions about it and then you eventually investigate and answer those questions. So it's really what makes a human a human. And so in science, what that looks like is I always start with some phenomena and we try to figure that out. Um, If I'm doing maybe history or social studies, I start with a social phenomena that I'm trying to figure out. Or in math, it's a problem that I'm trying to figure out. And so for me, a really good way to see are you doing inquiry or not is just what I said. You go up to students and just say, what are you trying to figure out? And if they can tell you clearly, oh, like today in the biology lesson, we were trying to figure out these yeast in an anaerobic and an aerobic situation, then the students were just trying to figure out why there was a difference between these two containers, one with air and the other without. And then they're trying to make sense of that. And I think a lot of people think inquiry is me asking questions and then just getting on Google or ChatGPT and just looking up the answers. And I would say that's not inquiry. Like what you're doing there is something called research, which is also really, really important. But inquiry is you asking questions and then answering those questions. And in science, we have a systematic way of doing that, of asking questions, developing models, planning investigations, and then coming up with some kind of an argument. So yeah, I think that's, it's way deeper than a lot of us might think. And I didn't learn that until I was a scientist. I really didn't know how we learn. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, re- I also appreciate you um, taking that and 
um, with the lens of high school biology after talking mm-hmm. about some of those elementary teachers that this really uh, is across divisions and age, age levels and, mm-hmm. and um, different specific science courses. What I want to kind of pivot to is how does inquiry NGSS impact uh, maybe AP courses or IB courses leading into college? How is the landscape of those things changing uh, and responding or maybe not? Yeah. Yeah, I think the history is interesting. So I think the IB program, especially early, was really on the frontier of how do we have students do inquiry? A lot of the models in the IB are built around a cycle of inquiry, so having the kids inquire. Um, A lot of that in science was really focused just on how do we inquire in an investigation? So how do we do an experiment where I could investigate? And so that's not really learning through inquiry, but just doing investigations. And so the next thing that I would say the biggest change is probably changes in the AP. So AP used to be a course where there was just, you're memorizing so much information and they were going to university and they couldn't apply it. And so there was movement there towards these, what are called the practices that I mentioned before of articulating what those are. And so the next generation science standards came out after that. And so that's 10 years ago now. And, it, and so it is like, this is a systemic thing. Um, it's interesting because now the IB is starting to evaluate and their new courses in the DP are more like inquiry, not in the lab, but in the classroom. So this is kind of a movement. And I think another thing that a lot of people don't understand is that it's happening at universities as well. So when we went to university, a lot of our science classes were just big lecture halls where just somebody talks and then you do a lab. And we're just finding those are not effective. So the, they don't call it next generation science standards. At university, they'll call it active learning and flip classroom. So they're kind of taking those big lecture halls and then stripping them down to just tables where kids can think through what like real problems. And so I think we always want to be wary of not preparing students for the schools that we went to in college, but preparing them for this, like those of the future. And so I think those themes will be some of the most important things to kind of be competent in the future. How can I think in systems and patterns and causation? A lot of us find that exciting, thinking yeah. about that future and where mm-hmm. they're headed. Uh, sometimes that's intimidating or even scary, right? What yep. is that 10 years in the future from now when NGSS has been out 20 years, right? Like, um, what are we preparing our kids for? What does that look like? And uh, again, I think that we want to think forward about what our kids need and how we prepare them for it. And the thinking pieces, I think the cross-cutting concepts that are Mm -hmm. in multiple places, those engineering pieces, I think those practices are applicable, not just in science. And and that's the goal, right? For sure. We're creating students that then are able to use and apply that in science classes, in university, but also in real life in fields that might not be traditionally science. Yeah. No, I think those will be... For me, like those system thinking, so how can I establish what are the big parts of the system, how are they related, how does that all work together, are just designed for a complex future when we try to figure out what's going on. I know AI is on the tip of everybody's tongue right now. Absolutely. We had a visitor to campus just a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Oh, talking about that. Yeah. And so for me, just uh, being in education 30 years, like internet, when that came out, it was it really just rippled through education and changed everything that we do. And I feel with AI, it's the same thing, where that deep thinking, for me when I'm talking to AI or chatting, um, I really, my prompts end up being tied to those system thinkings. So like, what are the important relevant components? What evidence would help me support that? Like, what is the causation? Like, those days of just like looking for an answer 
I think we'll have so many complex problems in the future that it won't help. So we want kids to think more systemically. And also, I always feel empathy for kids. The, the most busy I ever was was as a high school student, I think, because you're doing all the sports and you're there all day. You're doing and it you have all. all. You're doing it all. And you're also like moving from class to class where each teacher thinks what they're teaching is maybe the most important thing. But those themes can connect it together. If I go from my art, where we're talking about patterns, to my math class, where we're talking about patterns and the same in science and the same in computer science, like those themes connect us together and what we do. And so I think those are maybe the most neglected but most important parts of uh, teaching. So maybe another way of thinking is we talk about kids especially in high school, but significantly younger, being able to code switch, right? So in your class, these are the expectations. And when I'm with my aunt, I maybe can eat candy and whatever I want for dinner. And kids are pretty quickly able to adapt with um, what expectations are within a specific scope. And so I wonder how we could intentionally draw those connections, whether that's with other teachers or across content areas, uh, maybe in the elementary where you're in a homeroom, that's a bit easier, but across maybe high schools or content areas in middle school, could we create more of those, you know, patterning is in almost every content area and draw more of those connections? Yeah, they don't, in education, they really exist only in two places. So they existed in the P- PYP and the IB, they call them key concepts. So they're things like form and function or causation. And so this was, they gave thought to this years ago. Um, a lot of that is not emphasized as kids get older. The key concepts kind of fall aside and content becomes king when you get to high school. But to build on what you're saying a little bit, I think if I'm armed with these big themes like systems and causation and pattern, if I really know what a system is, it doesn't matter what situation I see the rest of my life. If I, if I don't understand this ecosystem or this chemical system or computer system, it's foreign to me, I know what a system is. And so I think the two big contents that we should really focus on would be these deep core contents of learning but then the other one, which are equally important, are these like, cross-cutting concepts, these concepts of thinking. And those you want to learn as quickly as you can. Because when you see anything foreign, you're always just identifying, okay, what are the parts? How are they related? How does it all work together? And so it gives you confidence to go into any situation. And, and, the, and also, the, whoever can think in systems is always going to be one of the most helpful persons in the room because they can see the big picture and how it's all connected. Yeah, absolutely. So you seem like a bit of an optimist. When we talk about the future, you're you're grinning or you're, uh-huh. you're thinking more positively than maybe others who think AI will take over the world someday. Yeah. Uh, but you've been working now, you said, 10 years with international schools. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, what kind of changes have you seen as you work with schools year over year? You've, you're coming back. This is actually not your first visit with right. us. Um, but with multiple schools, what change do you see in practice and um, teacher approachability and student outcomes, those kinds of things? And And then maybe the secondary to that is what do you hope 10 years from now? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think when it comes to AI, I would say like, I am not super positive or super (laughs) negative. The answer to every question is in the gray. It will do incredibly amazing things and it'll do horrible things too. Yeah. Both can be Internet was the same thing. It happened the same exact way. So there'll always be amazing good and there'll be amazing bad. But the answer of like, you can't say, should we, it, it's what will happen <laughs> going into the future. And so as we start to think about then your question of what, what do I see at schools like around the world? The biggest thing I would say is information is just at your fingertips. Like 
if we look at all the people around the world, like like a billion or more people have the fanciest phone you could possibly have with the best internet. And in the history, we've never had that, where like just everyone has like information at their fingertips. And so like, I think that's disrupting this old style of a school is a place where you come to just learn information. So like we want to move towards application of knowledge. So understanding deep core to solve huge problems. So I think that's one of the biggest pivots is that kind of tearing down that idea that content is the most important thing. It's, I think, a third of importance along with what do we do and how do we think. So I think it still is important. But I think the other thing, the big thing that we're shifting towards is that the student has to be at the center of the learning. So a lot of times schools are built around the school or around the teacher, but now the student, the individual student should be at the center of all the learning. And so the importance of next generation science standard is not in all the jargon that I talked about, but it's in that simple phenomena where a student can see something and try to figure it out. And it just puts them at the center of the learning because it's not about me, the teacher. What do I want to accomplish that day or what do they need to do to get into this one school? It's about like, can they learn how to learn because we can't go with them the rest of their lives. They're going to have to change the world on their own. And so we want to equip them. And so I think that would be the, the other big theme It is just like, let's focus our learning always at the center. And another way to kind of measure that in the class is um, I think whoever's learning is the person who's talking. So like Jenny, you and I, I think are learning right now because I'm having to listen to what you're saying, respond to that. And so much of education has just in the past has been listening. So hopefully our podcasters will listen <laughs> to this and then go talk with someone about it, right? I Share agree. it with somebody, engage in dialogue and think totally. maybe more deeply about the concepts we might be hitting on or what they want to know more about. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So you said phenomena and you came back to that a little bit. Uh, I was with you when you were on Pi, walking with those teachers uh -huh. outside in the campus in nature. And I'm wondering, how do we help create a lens for people to notice those phenomena around them? Right. Yeah. So to be curious, to engage with wonder around them, to be, you know, six years old again. Are, are there um, specific strategies or tools for for sharpening that noticing? Yeah. So I think like for me we tend to see the word inquiry and we think, oh, inquiry means questions. And so I always start with just what questions do I have? And that's really hard for kids to just come up with questions. So they would, in, in, at least in the sciences, coming up with some question that they want to investigate in some lab is really hard. And so it's never where a scientist starts. A scientist always starts in the world. So you'll never find phenomena generally in a classroom. It's an artificial environment. <laughs> so like get outside, get like stand under a tree, watch the birds and give yourself five minutes to just carefully observe. And when I mean observe, it's listen, it's watch, it's what do you hear? What do you feel? Do you feel the wind? All of that. And just give yourself time to just relax and just observe. And then you'll start to notice things. So like when we were at Pi, I was just out there for a few minutes and then I noticed that, wow, there's no birds here, but I see birds over there. And so I start to see a pattern. And so I walked over there and all the birds are there where the water is and the trees are, but they're not over there. So why is that? What are those birds? It just like your observations lead to the questions. And so it takes a while to kind of 
just be quiet with your mind to see like, what am I noticing? And then those observations turn into the best questions that you have. And also for me, just doing this, all I see is phenomena. Everywhere I look, I see phenomena everywhere. And I used to overthink it. I used to think a phenomena has to be phenomenal. It has to be amazing. It has to be some chemical that explodes and it's not. It's just like, what are you curious about? Look at this tree and that tree and how are they different? And I think those are, not, not only do they, they're, they're more deep inquiry, but they're connecting you to our place and what humans have always done. It's just like, try to make sense of the world. I think we always try to say, like, oh, technology gets better, or we've learned all these things, but you know humans, if we go back here in, in Jakarta, if we go back 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 years, the humans that were here were just as smart as us. They were noticing patterns, and they were kind of like using those to connect to the world and make their lives better. And so I think that's where I would start. Start by listening. Start by uh, observing. So I think the teachers vocalized with you. I was there and was in lots of those conversations and uh, really getting to take that five or 10 or 20 minutes to notice our campus around us. And um, I think putting on that lens, taking that time really helps us remember what it was like to be curious, mm -hmm. to watch the world around you and, and not yet have homework or an iPhone or some yeah. other busyness uh, that keeps us. But our teachers really enjoy taking on the student lens and right. having I saw that too. professional development opportunities, right? So just really focuses on creating opportunities, bringing in specialists like you. I'm curious, what other work have you done with the teachers that either maybe I don't know about or our listeners don't know about? I know there was some pieces with middle school maybe you could mm -hmm. share with us. Yeah, so I think the education you could kind of break it into two parts the simplest way to think about it is there's the teaching part and we call that pedagogy it's what does it look like in the classroom and so the work we've done is is really in the classroom modeling both in the classroom with students and with teachers of what does it look like to be in a classroom where wonder sits at the center and phenomena sit at the center a lot of us never we were never in a classroom like that and so like modeling what that looks like on the other side, there is the curricular work, which is the, okay, how do we know if we're getting towards the standards or are the students there and looking at student work? So for example, I just stepped out of a session with some seventh grade teachers and what we had done is kind of looked through the standard, figured out the sequence, but then we tried to figure out, okay, what is something, a big theme that we could anchor this whole story of this unit on? And we were focusing on the uh, Wallace line, which is this line between Indonesia and Australia. And that on either side of that line, which can be just miles apart, you have species that are totally different because they have this shared history. And so like a lot of work with teachers is how do we find an amazing story that the kids could be scientists and kind of investigate and better understand that. So that work is harder of like, how do we tie together a, 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 a overarching theme or something that holds it together? And that's a, for me, I've worked with so many schools, but that is just one that will be, I think an amazing story that kids will get to like read in the class. And I think it is that like, that's what good teaching is like. It's just like a good movie or a video game or a book. It just pulls you in. Like for me, my phenomena that I always get blown away with at Jakarta are the cats. So the cats are everywhere and they have this weird tail. Yes. And so like I could just Google it and figure out what's going on with the tail. Everyone here in Jakarta tells me why they think they have this tail. But like, let me just do inquiry and let me try to figure out like what patterns do I notice? What do I think? How could I investigate that? And like the cool thing about that is 
Like every time I see a cat here, it'll always make me think that back to that. And you might even think about me when next time you see a cat. <laughs> um, yeah, it's connecting you to where you are and the wonder. And I think even as I think about what teachers can do and what parents can do, I think is important that a lot of time, like how do we support our kids in that? And I would say like the worst thing to do is when they ask you a question is just to say, oh, let's just Google that and look it up. Um, because if you do that, you're killing their wonder. And you're not a scientist anymore. You're just looking up some other scientist's work. And so for me, it's a real systematic of here's your three steps. It's always number one, what do you notice? What do you see? Number two, what do you wonder? What questions do you have? And then number three, what do you think? What's your model? How do you think that works? And then once you've done that, then say like, okay, how could I see if my, my model is right? And then it's okay to do research. But if you're not doing those three steps of noticing, wondering, and thinking, then you're not doing inquiry. You're just kind of looking up somebody's internet uh, inquiry and kind of passing it off as your own. So parent advice to all of us out there yeah. who have gone home and looked it up on YouTube, maybe even found one yeah. of your videos. But Yeah, and also, like, why is that important? Because everybody wants, everyone wants their class to be this way. But, like, for me people should know how the assessments are changing. So what are your assessments going to be like now? And this is, uh, this is IB, this is AP, this is your fifth grade assessment. It doesn't matter what it is. Every assessment from here on out is gonna be a new phenomena that you've never seen before. So like the reason we're doing this is we're practicing this skill so that when you're in a setting where you can see that new phenomena, then you can kind of wrap your head around it confidently and understand it based on that knowledge that you have because we can't really prepare you for an infinite number of phenomena. We have to prepare you for any phenomena. And so that's kind of the stick. If you can't learn that, that like inquiry is going to be assessed, then you might struggle as a student. Yeah, we'll be here to work them through that process. Absolutely, yeah. So while you're here, you get some time with parents. You do a session out at Pell and then another here at Pi. And I'm curious, what do you do with parents? I haven't seen you in action there mm -hmm. yet. So what does that experience look like for parents as they also engage to help and support? Yeah, so I think it's awesome that parents come. <laughs> so having so much involvement in your kids is really spectacular. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, they want to know like structurally what's happening in their science classes. I think that's the one thing. And then the second thing that I want to know is like, how can I support my students? Um, one thing that I've seen a lot of schools is the word rigor is something that you hear and everybody has a different definition of what rigor is. And I think some parents sometimes think rigor is just like the sheer amount of information that you can remember or memorize. Cause that's kind of what we used to value in the past. And so in the time I just talk about that, there's a core understanding that will also be important, but this application of the knowledge is becoming more important. And that thing I just said about the assessments will always be phenomena resonates with a lot of parents because yeah. they're like, oh, I'm gonna help them kind of prepare for that. But this is a kind of teaching that you can't learn to teach this way from a book. You have to feel it. And so any session I do, I always put my teachers or my students or my parents in the position of doing inquiry. So I'll always have like a simple phenomena that they'll kind of work their way through. And it's fun because it takes them, it takes them a few minutes to kind of get over that awkwardness of, wait, I'm the learner in this. And then they eventually get into it. Um, but they're just not exposed to it. So I think that's what I try to do with the parent sessions is make it interactive and we're going to figure out some science and we're going to be scientists and then i think that resonates of like this might be helpful with 
like helping my students. Well, it's feedback for you. Uh, you know, I'm new. I've only been here six weeks. I've been on the ground now, I think. Uh, but parents and students talk about uh, that visit from a year ago, last fall. Right. Teachers rave about something that happened with fruit. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, that must have resonated with so many in the community because I keep hearing about this this fruit piece. Can you tell us a little uh, as an illustration, maybe? Yeah. So we did. It was apples was the thing that we did, and so apples are interesting. In the apples, they reproduce. Most of the apples we eat are just reproducing asexually. So, like once we made a Granny Smith, for example, it came from one tree, and all Granny Smiths on the planet came from that. Lineage. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we gave them last time were, I think, four apples and they had to figure out. No, we gave them one apple and then they had three candidates for parents of that apple. So they had to gather a bunch of evidence on the apples and try to figure out, like, who's the father of the apple. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because you can think about it like you're going to, is it the size, the smell, the taste, the number of seeds? So, like, they were all trying to figure out which was it. And so then the reveal at the end of, like, this is it. I think, I mean, the, the fact that they remember it speaks to the importance of a phenomenon. Like you don't usually remember professional development that detailed. (laughs) And so I think it is being in that position of uh, the learner, the phenomena ends up being the center. Yeah. I think our listeners, our listeners are going to think back on something in school that was likely experiential that that really tugged at their emotion or interest or curiosity. That's a good point. And now they think back on that maybe decades later and it sticks with them. And I I think your experiences with our stakeholders really has, has done that and sparked that memory. and, And I think they'll hold that for a long time. It's cool. Yeah. It's what makes us human. Yeah. And what's makes humans amazing. That we, if we don't understand something, we're going to figure it out. We won't stop until we figure it out. And that's a huge lever that we can use in schools. What a great thing. So uh, we talked a little about parents. I, earlier today, I watched a student take a selfie with you who was very <laughs> excited that you were on YouTube and clearly knew well who you were, wanted an autograph. If folks want to follow up, they're curious and want to know more, where can they check out things about you, Paul? Yeah, so I... I have a YouTube channel called Bozeman Science. Uh, I live in Bozeman, Montana, and that's where the name comes <laughs> from. So if you were to if you were to type Bozeman Science, you're gonna find my YouTube channel. Um, that's kind of my old life. It was mostly like making a bunch of videos on science, so I could spend time in my science class actually doing science. And so since I started doing the consulting, I have a website called The Wonder of Science. And so the work that we do now is all around that and if you're interested go to the wonder of science there will be examples of phenomena that you could look at and I think that's a good starting point to see kind of the work that we're doing and for folks maybe in the GIST community or the international school community who are familiar with your body of work what are some exciting things that maybe you're working on that we can expect coming next yeah I think one of the things that I was most I've just been playing with for the last year is uh, there is a, uh, a mindset that gets in the way of doing this. So, and so for me, I've developed a bunch of different mindsets. So examples would be a curious mindset and a skeptical mindset. They're both good, but it depends on the context. And so I did a video on that recently and I, I found in classes and with teachers, for me holding up a poster that says, we're about to learn something new And so when you're learning something new, it's most important that you're in a curious mindset. So just channel that three-year-old curiosity. And I found that that, like being explicit with everything that we do is helpful. 
because I know every, I did that as a teacher. I, I, I wanted my students to be curious. I tried to give them enriching activities they would be curious, but I never stopped and said like, this is what a curious person does and this is what they do and these are their behaviors. And so I'm excited about that right now. So yeah, I think you I'm should at. be. I watched, I don't think the video is very long, six minutes or yeah, so? Yeah, the video and just like these mindsets. And so if you're good at Bozeman Science, you can find that as well. Yeah, I checked that out and had some great thoughts and respect uh, for the creation of that work, but also the application as a mom or as an educator and thinking about how we might have shared language then uh, with our learners around yeah. how to push themselves and which hat or mindset they're putting on at the moment for a given experience. It's totally. great. So I'd like to say thanks so much, Paul Anderson, for joining us on the podcast today. I'll also give a shout out to Morgan and Mindy for having me as a guest host. Again, I'm Dr. Jenny Saban, the curriculum coordinator here at GIST. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. Bye.